You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are in Cogne. Yeah, I think there are a lot of tired bodies out there, to be honest. Um, yeah, I had the, I was getting the vibe that everyone uh, just wanted to come home. Well, Brian, the pre-recording has been a shambles. Let's hope things go better now that the record button has been pressed. Good evening, Brian, not Lionel. Different guy, same hairstyle. Brian, where are we? Good evening, Daniel. We are in Cogne, in Valle d'Aosta. In the Valle d'Aosta, the northwesternmost extremity of Italy, surrounded by mountains. What a beautiful scene, except you don't find it that beautiful or that alluring, do you, this landscape? Despite the fact we're in a bar called the, named after the highest mountain, well, the, the highest mountain that overlooks us here in Cogne, the Grivola Mountain, 3,969 meters above sea level. It's majestic, but you don't seem inspired. You um, seem less inspired than the peloton did today. We heard <laughs> that's, Jai. Hindley. That's not possible. Sorry. We, we heard Jai Hindley there saying that everyone wanted to go home. Yeah. First of all, I definitely don't want to go home. Second of all, I feel very inspired. Maybe not by the stage today, but you know, by you know talking to you about the Giro. This is not my favorite mountainous part of Italy. What is your most? What is your favorite mountainous part of Italy? Would you say? Apart from the Apuane Alps, where I live. <laughs> Which aren't that really like messy. Not that Alpine. No, no, not that Alpine or no, yeah. no, the Dolomites for sure, absolutely. Which, as as discussed earlier, you know, four kilometers zero to come out tomorrow are a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Slightly cryptic reference there, but anyone who listens tomorrow will find out the significance of that. Brian, should we proceed to the what might be quite a stuttering um, amateurish dilettantish tale of the town? But let's hope not. Today we stage 15 of the Giro d'Italia from Rivarolo in Piemonte to Cogne, as we said, in the Valle d'Aosta. 177 kilometers like yesterday. The early part of the race was characterized by attacks on the road out of Rivarolo Canavese. Joe Dombrowski, friend of the podcast, one of the most active riders. Alessandro Covi as well, uh, Davide Gaburro, Ham Van Hooker. It was probably easier to name the riders who didn't try something in the early phases of today's stage. Anthony Perez, the king of the mountains, classification leader, Diego Rosa. He was on the attack as well. But five kilometers into the stage, Richard Carapaz and Simon Yates were both involved in a crash. There were 10 riders delayed by a crash. It didn't hold any, didn't have any serious consequences for any of those riders as far as we know. It was conspicuous Brian, early in the stage, it was noticeable that Bora Hansgrohe were trying to put a guy, or one particular rider, Leonard Kemner, already a stage winner here. We'll find out a bit later why they were trying to put a rider, and particularly Kemner, into a break. They didn't really succeed. Um, finally, with about 100 kilometers of the stage remaining, approaching the first climb of the day, a group of 25 riders seemed to have put daylight between themselves and the peloton. They included Matteo van der Poel, Davide Formolo, Giulio Ciccone, Hugh Carthy, Timon Aronsman, he was the best placed in the group. Kern Bauman, 
And Bauman indeed took the first King of the Mountains prize of the day and he went into the virtual lead of the King of the Mountains competition. The next climb to Veronia was 13.9 kilometers at 7.1%. There was an early attack from Giulio Ciccone and he went over that climb in first place, followed by Santiago Buitrago, Pedrero of Movistar, Hugh Carthy and Rui Costa and Martin Tusvelt of DSM also joined that group. And then we got to the final climb, 22 kilometers, more of a false flat for much of the climb. In fact, with some descending portions, but the early kilometers of the climb were pretty tough. We drove up there, didn't we, earlier, Brian? And we were quite surprised at how well, selective we thought they had the potential to be. Buitrago attacked, Carthy, Chicone tried a few times and then finally with about 19 kilometers to go Chicone snapped the elastic and went away on his own. Meanwhile the peloton was being pulled by Ineos Grenadiers after a brief acceleration by Ulisi and UAE for their leader Almeida on the Veronia on the penultimate climb. Guillaume Martin, I should have mentioned, had also attacked on the Veronia climb. He had started the day in 12th position overall on general classification. He was 9 minutes and 44 seconds down, but he was soon making quite good headway between the two groups. Doing a classic Guillaume Martin, Christmas bauble sort of move, hanging between the two groups. Up the road, Ciccone's gap was growing and he would finally take the third Giro stage of his career after the win at Sestola in 2016 and Ponte di Legno in 2019. Buitrago finished the stage in second place, 1 minute and 31 down and Pedrero was third. Guillaume Martin's attack was also successful in the end. He gained over a minute and a half and has moved back into the top 10 overall on general classification. Otherwise, in general classification, there was no significant change higher up with Carapaz still seven seconds ahead of Hindley. Hindley, who had a bit of beef with João Almeida after the finish line. We're not entirely sure what that was about. Um, But third on general classification is Almeida himself. He's 30 seconds down still on general classification. Uh, Arno Demar still leads the Chiclamino points jersey competition. Kern Bauman has edged ahead of Diego Rosa to claim the blue King of the Mountains jersey. Almeida is in white and Bora Hansgrohe lead the team competition, team's classification, with a one minute, two second advantage over Bahrain. There was indeed one DNF today. Do you know who it was? Astana rider. Former pink jersey wearer, if I'm not mistaken, Valerio Conti. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he was famously riding for UAE, wasn't he, when he had the pink jersey? He famously was, Brian. I don't know why that was famous. I don't know why it was more famous than anyone else wearing the pink jersey. Just trying but to reclaim some authority. Here. <laughs> Still guessing on fueling. Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter. Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. This is Lionel dialing in from Torino Airport, where I'm getting ready to fly home after my two-week stint at the Giro. I've just watched Giulio Ciccone win stage 15, and no doubt Daniel has just described expertly in the tale of the tapper how he did it. Our coverage is sponsored by Super Sapiens and I've been asking Christina Scrocher of the University of Verona, who also works for Super Sapiens, about the way that the app works. It monitors 
glucose levels, blood glucose levels in real time, of course. And with all this data available, I wanted to know how important it is to take account of the way I feel as my energy levels on the app go up and go down. Should I be paying attention to how my real life energy levels feel? Feeling is really important. In fact, is one of the things that we actually ask at the end of the training. So at the end of the training event in the app, you can insert the intensity of your training and you can also insert your feeling because it's really important to, to understand how did you feel over a certain event, which can be, in this case, training, and to analyze how does this glucose levels actually combine with your feeling. And we are seeing some positive effects there, to be honest. So sometimes you will feel tired, you will have a night of disrupted sleep, or uh, you will feel that you are not recovered well. And then maybe if you go back to your app, you will find answers. But obviously it doesn't mean that it's always going to give you all the answers uh, to your questions. But quite often it happens and the feedback that I get from our, our athletes a lot is that their feeling really, really combines well with what happens with their glucose levels. To find out more about Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. Brian, your verdict on the stage generally. A bit of a disappointment, I think, was the general consensus, but what did you think? It was good to see uh, Chikona on, on the attack. It's He spent a lot of time in the press conference talking about how people had expected more of him and had been disappointed. So that, w- that, was, a, that was a good win, but it wasn't... A, once he rolled away, once he dropped Hugh Carthy and Butrago, there wasn't really much racing left, and there was zero racing in the final from the from the main sort of people for the GC so I thought that was a bit off but I think that, that this type of stage even going into the rest day tomorrow it was didn't really present a lot of opportunities even with two teams in the GC with more more than one rider to potentially challenge Carapaz it, it didn't really amount to anything and I think when you look at the stage you couldn't really be surprised even if you know we were absolutely hoping for more Chikoni is a guy who gets a lot of criticism for his lack of ta- tactical acumen. He attacks often. He attacks in some strange places at times. He attacked several times today before he made the decisive move. I feel that he's a rider who's been miscast and, and kind of overestimated to his own detriment. He's, you know, it's not his fault that people have anointed him as the next big Italian stage race star. I simply don't think he quite has that in him at the moment. He's never really shown any great pedigree in time trialling. Um, he's a good sort of one-day climber. Um, it would be my Question, reading. Yeah, it came up also, you know, that they... Chiro actually asked him if he was still to be considered the heir of Vincenzo Nibali. And I actually wondered uh, during that Q&A session that that wouldn't make any sense also given his, his, his age at this point. And what I think, and that's probably speaking from a journalistic or PR perspective, I guess, I think he should also, Ciccone should just stop talking about that people expect too much or have criticized him. I think, you know, in the moment of a victory, you you should probably relish that a bit more than, you know, pointing fingers at, at your critics. You know, the win in itself is a big statement, in, you know, as such. And it just seems like it somehow stuck to him that that people were expecting more. But when you, you know, he won a, a mountain stage at the Giro now, so he should f- feel comfortable and he's in a good place. And the team is in a very good place after 
having had the pink jersey for 10 days and there's the day after they had to concede that they, they win a, a mountain stage. Yeah, he always looked like the strongest rider, didn't he, today? Um, there were some good climbers in that group. Butrago is a strong rider who's getting better. Hugh Carthy has not had the greatest start to the Giro d'Italia, but he was active yesterday and he was pretty lively today. He was he was one of the first riders to attack, in fact, or he was certainly one of the riders who tried to attack in the first hour of the race. He seems to be growing into the Giro, but... He was ultimately, as well, quite disappointed when I spoke to him at the finish today that, once again, there had been a climber, a rider, who was stronger than him today. Yeah, the whole day was start, first couple of hours. Hard for me to get in the break, but we had three there, and that was OK. Second to last climb, everything blew up. And I was on the limit at the start of the climb, but I settled down and was able to come back nicely at the top. Uh, after that, it was just like, uh, every man for himself. Yeah, disappointed to be close, but I think after yesterday, I was disappointed, I was upset. But so I think this can be the start of the change now. So, yeah, I'm disappointed not to be close to the win, but happy that things are turning around. So, yeah. uh, the race has been blown apart at the front, so I think apart from about five riders, everyone wants to get in the break. Even Valverde was trying to get in a mood today, so yeah, that's the way it is. Uh, yeah, that's the way it is. How hopeful are you for the last week? Do you feel as though you're coming into form at the right time? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I wish the form had been better, but uh, what can you do? Uh, yeah, I think the only option we've got now is Stadium, so it has to be there. I think all, the, all six of us that are here are committed to winning a stage. So, yeah, more of the same. There's not much else to, to do now. So. Yeah. Some beautiful singing, Brian. Um, I don't know if the listeners will be able to hear it. How would you describe the, the beautiful Valdostano melodies that we're hearing? It actually sounds halfway like a Christmas carol and sort of relatively good but drunken singers in a bar. Are you not intrigued by this part of the world, at least linguistically? Um, well, later we'll hear from some fans who were apprehended by me um, before the finish today. They were a very lively bunch, but they were talking to me in French, they were talking to me in Italian, they were talking to me in dialect. They said that dialect is quite commonly spoken by even young Valdostani. And it's an interesting melting pot from that point of view, isn't it? Yeah, in the same way that the, the exact opposite end, you know, the north, uh, the northeast, you know, or at least that part like Trentino, where it's half German, half Italian, and here it's a bit—it's a bit of a mix of of more than more than two elements. And the, the local—we spoke about that in the car driving up here, you know, looking at the signs and it—it's a—it's a strange dialect to really decipher. Both you and I speak Italian, at a, you especially at a, at a very high level, but the accent here—I just—I just can't really get my head around it. I also couldn't quite get my head around why we didn't see a little bit more action in the race behind Giulio Ciccone and those few riders that did make it up the road today. In terms of general classification, I mean, Guillaume Martin is really turning this into a trademark. The, as we mentioned earlier in the Giro, the up by the stairs, down by the elevator, it might have been the other way around, but he gained another minute and a half today. 
And I wonder with him whether he's not getting slightly frustrated by well a, a way of riding that's ultimately you know proving to his advantage and it's 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 allowing him to finish in the top ten of Grand Tours, but there's almost an element of hollow victory about not climbing with the the best riders yet still gaining time on them. Yeah, I mean, coming back to your first question, or you know, when you wonder about why there wasn't any more action, one thing is looking at the profile of the stage, and it was pretty close to four thousand meters of climbing, which is significant, especially coming into the last week of the Giro. But I don't, you know, looking at the strength first of all of Ineos, team that's leading the race, looking at the possibilities that this stage actually presented when when you look at how hard the climbs were. And taking yesterday into consideration, who with any GC ambition, and especially we would then mention Bora Hans Grohe and Brian Victorious because they have each two riders who are in contention. I don't really see any point in this race where they would successfully be able to get away with a, a lot more well-riding and, and substantial Ineos team today than yesterday. So they would have wasted in my opinion, their energy if they tried. I think the other thing, Brian, if you look at the profile of today's stage, you might say on paper it looks an interesting one. With a, It's a really a stage of two halves, a pretty flat first half and a very mountainous second half. In reality, what that means is that the break is not a question of who is strongest. You know, you often hear riders talk about, well, sort of welcoming stages where there's a climb at the start and if you want to be in the break you basically have to be one of the strongest of 30 40 50 riders who have been given freedom to go in the break when it's flat like it is today the pool of riders who might get into the break is maybe 120 130 and it's a huge fight for an hour two hours and i think everyone's exhausted after those first two hours yeah and if you were a gc contender and you had the madness of trying to follow those attacks on the flat you would be putting yourself at great danger of basically hitting your limit or being in trouble on the first real climb so i think rationally speaking and not that i'm a big fan of that when it comes to bike racing it i don't really think it would have been a good idea for those guys to join we mentioned the tiredness level of fatigue we heard from jai hindley earlier in the episode at the start of today's episode saying that everyone wanted to just go home. I think he, he meant they wanted to go to their hotel. I don't think they'll be packing their bags tomorrow. For the rest day, yeah. one or two might. Let's hear a bit more from Jai Hindley at the finish today. He looked pretty tired, actually, pretty exhausted, but also, I suppose, quite relieved to have got to the rest day in such a good position, only seven seconds down on general classification, and in, uh, well, perfectly poised to challenge Richard Carapaz in what is going to be a very, very mountainous and, we think, exciting final week. I mean, I guess it was pretty boring, but uh, yeah, what can you do, eh? Grand Tour Racing, it's all about the long game, so uh, yeah, hard day yesterday, and uh, yeah, it was too hard today, but I think everyone was a bit uh, cautious. Yeah, I think if the climb was, if the final climb was much harder, then yeah, it would have been a different scenario, but yeah, with uh, with a flatter gradient like that, it's really hard to to do anything in the final there, so yeah, I think everyone was a bit like, uh, yeah, let's call it a day. Jai, it looked as though you guys were pretty desperate to get someone in the break earlier on in the day. What was the plan? Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Lenny Kamna has shown that he's, uh, you know, a bit of a 
breakaway specialist and uh, yeah, you know, we, we knew today was going to go uh, to the breakaway, so why not go for another win? Shoot, shoot at l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb Piquet to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by MAP, our new clothing partners. We're looking forward to revealing the collaboration between the cycling podcast and MAP a little bit later on this summer. But recently, back in Catania, we met up with Jared Smith, one of the founders of MAP, and we asked him lots of questions about the origins of the company and the sorts of things that inspired him and it wasn't just the athletic aspect of cycling which appealed to Jared when he got interested in the sport it was also the style the design the kits the pro teams wore and the Giro d'Italia itself I was totally obsessed with all the old teams from that's probably part of why I got right into it not just because of the exercise side of you know cycling but I was obsessed with like the teams like Mapai and I collected every I've probably got about 18 Mapai kits at home, just every different era that they created. A, um, I've got to pull out my archive one day, and I've got the Carrera team kits with the, the denim, and um, I, I collected all the AG2R kits, and oh, I was just obsessed with any 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 kit I liked at the time. I just made sure I'd hunt down the whole set. So it has had a lot of influence on me early on, like the, the older teams. And I actually came to the Giro for the first time in 2009. And just to be able to be at the Giro was just so inspiring back then. And um, I'd never seen anything like it in Australia. And I still to this day look back at those. I can't believe it's 10, 12 years ago. And um, see where I am today with MAP. I'm here again at the Giro. This is the first time I've been back. And, you know, I've got a cycle, one of the world's leading cycling brands. And here I am, you know. Um, at the at the Giro again, it's just awesome. Browse through the entire map range at map.cc. That's m-a-a-p.cc. On va faire un français alors, on va bien. Okay, you should have. Non, non, non. Who is in English? It's in English. Okay. So, what does it mean for Konya to have the Giro d'Italia here? Yeah, Giro d'Italia is uh, the the best race in uh, in Italy. We are really proud of this. It, it's a big party for us. We are uh, so happy and maybe also a bit drunk. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? Ah, uh, my name is Riccardo. And you live in Cogne? Yeah. I've always lived in Cogne. Uh, yeah, I live uh, in Cogne. I live in Epinal, the best place in Cogne. How many people live in Konya? Uh, in Konya live uh, 1,500 people. Okay. Yeah, around. So, so I know Konya, a lot of people in Italy know Konya because of something that happened here 20 years ago. Is that still something that people always associate with Konya in Italy? That's the only reason they know Konya? Yeah, uh, I think uh, that this fact is not the most important of the history of uh, Konya. Konya, I think, is uh, the best valley in uh, in Aosta Valley we are plenty of uh, history nature we are in a national park of uh, in Gran Pagadiso National Park I think uh, we have uh, history culture we have uh, everything it's not uh, an, an is- a murder history that uh, make uh, us famous Matteo Van Der Poel I love you Tira dentro la pancia per favore Today Kelderman win the stage 
Adesso incontriamo se vince ti do 50 euro. Ci ah, ecco, 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 with whom, well, I made a wager. They were convinced that Wilco Kelderman was going to win the stage. I bet 5,000 euros. We had a date for, well, around about now, 7 o'clock this evening. We were going to meet just outside the, this bar. Um, and I was going to pay out if Wilco Kelderman won the stage. But I knew that, of course, he wasn't, especially after the ride he did yesterday. And but now that he didn't win, I, seeing that it's a wager, did you win anything? No, I didn't. It, unfortunately, it didn't really work. That like would have that. set so us well for the last week. It wasn't week. much of a wager. It wasn't much of a wager. Um, Brian, we heard there from Ricardo, who was one of this local troupe who were really enjoying the Giro's visit to Cogna. It's a place in Italy that's unfortunately known for a fairly grisly event that happened here 20 years ago, a brutal murder of a three-year-old boy. And it's, it's really uh, a place that's, that's synonymous with that. The Giro is really important for a place like this, which, as I say, is synonymous for that one thing, to, well, to, to sort of implant a, a more positive, a more festive image in the collective imagination, the collective psyche of the watching public. Brian, another place of which similar thing could be said, for reasons, again, that will be explored in our Kilometre Zero tomorrow, is Salo, where we'll be tomorrow at the base of Lake Garda, on the southern shore of Lake Garda. Some listeners will know already what I'm talking about, the events of the 1940s. Others will not, and we'll have to find out in the Kilometre Zero tomorrow. But as we go into the second rest day in this Giro, how is the race poised in your mind? What kind of final week are we looking at here? I mean, there are, there are knowns and there are unknowns. And one thing that emerged today like was... Donald Rumsfeld... <laughs> Well, one thing that emerged today was that we, you know, we've had a very, very warm one, probably the warmest Giro in, in my memory at least. It's been absolutely scorching, but there's going to be a very dramatic change of weather. It's going to be rain. We're going to see some. I think you've been a bit pessimistic. I've looked at the forecast. It's not that bad. Well, let's let's see about that. What the what I heard today was that the stage to that goes across Motirolo, the stage to Aprica, could see significant rain and and very low temperatures. And it's not the hardest way up the Motirolo, but that means it's definitely a very, very difficult descent. And they were talking about that today, both in the press room and uh, in the RISE transmission where they have a, a dedicated weatherman. And I think that's going to make a big, big difference, not just because of the potential of crashes, but also those riders who are willing to take risks on the descent, etc., etc., will they will have a lot of opportunities. But we're going into probably one of the hardest last week's of, of, a, of a Grand Tour this year. How many riders can win this Giro, Brian? We've got Hindley seven seconds down, Joao Almeida 30 seconds down, with the time trial still to come on the last day in Verona. We've got Mikel Lander 59 seconds down, Pozzo Viva, surely Pozzo Viva can't win the Giro. One minute and one second down, then Perry Bilbao almost a, a minute further back in sixth place. Yeah, I mean, the obvious, the obvious answers to that would that be would within the four top four riders today going into the second rest day who are all within a minute and when you look at and most interestingly I think when you look at their various characteristics there are riders I mean 
Almeida is a significantly better time trialist than Landa. If Landa wants to win this Giro, he has to go on a very, very big attack. I have a question mark with Jay Hindley because he's really surprised me this Giro and is there an element of just the face doesn't fit with Jai Hindley? I think he's... Un- I mean, we talked about Ciccone being overestimated. I just think people unfairly discount what he did in 2020. Um, particularly... Yeah. But I think isn't it also down to the fact that there hasn't really been much of him after that? Well, there hasn't been... Not that much time has elapsed since then. And last year, he, for his major objective of the year, which was the Giro again, he suffered physical setbacks. He hasn't really been tested since then. Yeah. Um, you know, if you think back to that Giro d'Italia, I mean, the climb to Piancavallo is an absolute brute and a purer test of climbing you will not find in any Giro d'Italia. And that was the climb on which he, he thrived more than on any other day. And uh, I think if there, w- if there has been a sort of truth serum for his climbing, I think it was, it was that stage and that Giro. And I think this is someone who is developing into one of the major stars of stage racing internationally. I may be completely wrong and he may blow up in the next well, two or three days. Uh, well, one of the differences, and that's definitely not taking anything away from Tao Gegenhardt's win, but it was also a special Giro you know, being positioned in, in at that time of year after lockdown. And it probably wasn't, uh, as people say that this is a, maybe not the biggest year in terms of contenders, but it's certainly, in my opinion, bigger than the year when Tao Gegenhardt won. So we've all been waiting to see both Tao and also now Jai Hindley up against those really established names and, you know, the best climbers in the world. And some of them, I believe, are still here, you know, especially... Carapace and Landa so I think he's in that sense surprised me by being not just on par but, but now I think he's you know better than he's been climbing better than, than, than uh, Almeida he's been climbing better than Carapace so far and that surprised me I have to say and they've got Bookman poised at 1 minute 58 down uh, a really quality rider a real quality rider who could have won the 2019 Tour de France came very very close indeed what role for Vincenzo Nibli? Well, who better to ask than an old, great friend and still friend? An institution, indeed, of the cycling podcast. The one Giro. and only, but also almost the one and only for La Gazzetta dello Sport here. Yes, he is. Because he basically writes every single page of that paper when it comes to cycling right now. Cue the Inno di Mamelli. My sympathies, my condolences. I know that you're not in your happy place in the Valle d'Aosta. Um, I already knew this, dear listeners. Uh, my real Giro ended uh, in Liguria, obviously. And now this, uh, this week uh, till uh, Sunday, next Sunday will be really a nightmare. But I can count with my, on my jolly, the stage number 22, on Monday 30 May. Deal with, this will be my victory, dear listeners. Chiro, no sea left, but we do have a shark who's in, right in the thick of the action here at the Giro. What can you tell us about his form, his state of mind, his prospects for the final week? What do you expect from Los Squalo? I mean, um, I understood during the stage, do you remember the stage in Le Marque, the stage uh, won by Biniam Gemai, 
uh, it was really uh, the, uh, the shark was really in the first really first position on these little climbs of the market that normally on the paper don't suit him very well and when the shark is in a good position in this kind of little eels normally that means that he's in good shape till when he can arrive in my opinion better for him a stage victory than a top five certainly a podium spot will be better than one stage victory so i think he's still convinced that he can do something in this giro rcs and the giro needs a, they need a good week from the shark don't they because we see so many italian fans now who i always say and i think they probably don't know the name of a single cyclist apart from Vincenzo Nibali. a lot of casual fans you know people who aren't passionate followers of cycling the average italian they only know the shark Uh, it's true, and um, sometimes uh, um, Italian public knows better, for example, Cipollini than the Italian of this period. Of this period, this is true, and so I agree that for the Italian audience, Italian audience, a good third week of the shark will be certainly the best. But, uh, dear listener. This is a sport. This is not a fairy tale. <laughs> Last thing, Ciro, tomorrow we'll be on Lake Garda. Now, I know that you don't have a very positive view of lakes. I remember once on a rest day in the Tour de France in Switzerland, I thought that you might be delighted to see some water, but you just told me that the lakes were like big swimming pools. Uh, I don't change my mind, absolutely. And also, I'm even more, more convinced on this, dear listeners. Remember, if you want to kill me, uh, give me a gift one week holiday on a lake. You will kill me. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science and Sport for sponsoring the Cycling Podcast. A little bird tells me that it's Stephen Moon's birthday today. Happy birthday, Stephen. Stephen is the CEO of Science in Sport. And I can, well, I don't want to ruin the surprise, but we have arranged for a Buffalo Cup made by Stacey Snyder to wing its way to Stephen at some point as a, well, it will be a belated birthday present to him. In return, Science in Sport offer all cycling podcast listeners 25% off the full range of products on the Science in Sport website. Go to scienceinsport.com and use the discount code SISCP25. Science in Sport is the ideal supplement to help fuel your training and racing before, during and after you ride. Brian, tonight we're staying, we're sleeping in Ivrea. Now, I know one thing about Ivrea. It's the home of Olivetti, the typewriting, the typewriters. What else do they make? Um, printers, probably, that kind of thing. And when I think of Olivetti, I think of one thing, one man. Punto. Punto. Gianni Mura, one of the great cycling journalists. The late Gianni Mura died a couple of years ago. I know you were a big fan of Gianni's, weren't you? Um, I forget the name, the model name of the typewriter that he used to use, but it was definitely an Olivetti, and it was one of their iconic models um 
He's sadly missed, isn't he? He was more associated with the Tour de France than the Giro d'Italia. He mainly went to the Tour de France, or he loved the Tour de France, because he, unlike me, and I think unlike you, he preferred it, he preferred French food to Italian food. Yeah, which is interesting because he also he had a food column in La Repubblica that he wrote together with his wife, and he was, and in, I guess it's okay to say that here, he was also very much into football, probably also to the point where it was just the biggest um, love for him in cycling. A very famous column called Sette Giorni Brutti Pensieri, Seven Days of of Evil Thoughts, uh, which was about, I mean, when he wrote about cycling, it was it was about everything, really. But, uh, yeah, he is, he is sadly missed. And there's, um, unfortunately, also a lot of really good cycling journalists retiring. You know, also Philippe Brunil, one of, another one of my big heroes, fantastic writer for L'Equipe, has also... Uh, put his pen to rest but he's obviously still very much alive and looks not a, a day older than 50 even if he's retired so yeah we, there's a there's a big heritage now that we need to fulfill and i don't unfortunately see anyone with the with sort of the the, the um, authority and and and, and persona very, of Moura. Le Keep have a very good young journalist here, Gaëtan Chéreur, who's an excellent journalist, and I love the way that almost all of his pieces here from Italy, it's his first time at the Giro, but he's really going to great lengths to include a bit of local colour and talk about the, the places and the context and the contorno, as you say in um, as we say in Italy. But yeah, you, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, we mentioned it a few days ago in Kilometer Zero, Chiro cuts a very lonely figure here at the Giro d'Italia which is slightly sad to see we spoke in the car today about earlier you know Giro's and how many um, riders like Assetta would show up with at this bike race and probably around a handful five or six riders who would you know fill the papers of the of, of like Assetta where it's it's definitely a different setup now and um, I still I mean there was only one Giro and he could do the the, the, the work for, for three people We've, he potentially one of the few people who I've seen walk faster than you <laughs> well talking of great voices of the Giro great voices of Italian culture Italian sport tomorrow we've got a kilometer zero coming out about the beauty of the Giro the joy of the Giro the adventure the voyage the discovery is it just a great bike race or is it also still a great road trip we advertised it before this Giro as the greatest road trip in cycling does it live up to that billing the great voice that I'm particularly thinking of and we all particularly talk about in Kilometer Zero is Pier Paolo Pasolini if he's a familiar name to anyone listening then you'll definitely enjoy tomorrow's episode tomorrow's Kilometer Zero and if he is not then hopefully you'll enjoy finding a bit more about him Brian, you and I tomorrow we're doing a press conference. Uh, haven't had, I haven't done a press conference for a, a long time since you were administering, since you were overseeing press conferences back in your well, first at CSC, then at later at Orica Green Edge. Um, what will what will that be like to be on the other end of the of the questions? I can't wait. We're not quite on the other end. Yeah, I mean, in the sense that you were the Machiavellian middleman <laughs> for many years. <laughs> Yeah, then I yeah, then I'll be more of a Seneca type tomorrow with a a, a calm, uh, you know, voice of everything will be okay, don't worry. Um, yeah, I look forward to that. I, I, you know, it would, I used to listen to those episodes as well when 
when you and, and Richard were doing them and, and Lionel. So yeah, just proud to be part of it. Well, still time to send in your questions. Send them to contact at thecyclingpodcast.com. If possible, send an audio note and we will play your question and answer it in the episode. Brian, it's time for this evening's Giro del Buffalo. Um, we're going to go back to 2019 to remember a pretty raucous, spirited episode when Richard Lionel and I were discussing Movistar's tactics midway through a Giro, which Richard Carapaz, Movistar's captain at the time, would go on to win. Will he win the 2022 Giro d'Italia? Let's find out. We will find out in the next few days or in the next week. In the meantime, here is this evening's Giro del Buffalo. In Giro del Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. How's Mike Chandry settling into Movistar? More to the point. Um, well, I think, Rich, I think, um, well, Movistar is, is renowned. It's well known to be one of the more kind of, oh, I wouldn't say one of the looser teams, but one of the the, the less sort of officious teams out there. In the last few years, we've seen the, the emergence of quite a few teams who take organisation very, very seriously. And I'm not saying that Movistar aren't organised, but there are teams like Sunweb and, and BMC, where Max Chandry was up until the end of the year, um, you know, where a lot of kind of information is exchanged hashtags. on emails and hashtags and this and that. And there are a lot of training camps. And a lot of, hang on, there are teams where a lot of information <laughs> is exchanged well, on emails. How, some of them, well, some of them have to use computers. How, how, tw- yeah, how twenty nineteen? Well, you know, and I think um, obviously I'd take a much, so fax much machine. more, a much more refreshing kind of cavalier approach to these things. But <laughs> I think that's that's, quite, a, that's, not, that's quite that's, a. Quite I'm a good fit, really, Shandri and Movistar in that sense, and that's what that's what it's all about, isn't it? Finding an environment that suits suits you best. You probably will be pretty happy there. I mean, very a very Manana type attitude in the team. <laughs> and well, he's he's relaxed, isn't he? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I remember Tuscans are relaxed. I, I know. I don't know. I know we're not going to revive. Lionel. I think we're not going to revive Lionel Lenz Italian. <laughs> but Lionel, um, as your Italian improves over the next couple of weeks, you might start to notice this. The Tuscan accent is very languid, and it, it, it's kind of it's mirrored by their body language as well. They're kind of the well, we, we might get back to Super Superman Lopez here, but they're the kind of the Jamaicans of of Italy in some ways. <laughs> oh goodness me! We saw we we uh, had a close uh, shave with Superman today, <laughs> didn't we? At the finish. Uh, I think you were about to launch into an anecdote there, Lionel. No, I felt well, there was a Chandri anecdote Chandri. I mean, I just remember when BMC were here without a GC rider a few years ago and, you know, they were supposed to be hunting for stages but hadn't got in a break for a fortnight. And I, and I was asking Max about, you know, how hard is it to, um, you know, get the riders to be self-motivated or is it up to the management to motivate them? And he said, ah, oh, it's up to the management to a certain extent. And I said, yeah, right. so what, what did you say to them this morning? I said... Just try to get in the break. <laughs> but that, yeah, I mean, he is—he is laid back. But I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that if um, if it if it works for the team and the riders that he's working with. Well, Brian, there's there are very big football matches. There's very important football matches taking place tonight in Italy. There was a big cheer that just went up. Uh, Milan and Inter um, in in the fight for Lo Scudetto, the Italian Championship. Italian league title. Ciro was quite concerned that he would, well, go back to Milan this evening and find that the city was, well, there was pandemonium raining in the city because 
one of the teams would would be celebrating and um, he was quite worried about how he would get home and whether there'd be food waiting for him as we heard earlier in the Giro. Chiro has never cooked a meal in his life. He has his meals delivered every day and he was quite worried that the, the mythical, the legendary um, silver tr- silver foil tray wasn't going to turn up with his primo or antipasto or secondo in it. So, um, yeah, we'll cross our fingers for Chiro and we'll, we'll be back tomorrow with the press conference. Send those questions in. Brian, it's been a pleasure. We need to get in the car, get out of this valley. You'll breathe a sigh of relief. We'll be out of the mountains at least for a few hours and we'll be in Ivrea. Buonasera. Buonasera, Daniele. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Byrne.